Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. I'm your host, Dara Tarkowski. And before we get into today's subject matter, once again, Tech on Reg wants to say a great big thank you to today's sponsor, BAI. BAI is the financial services industry's premier source of education and training. Be sure to check out its newest non-bank curriculum at BAI.org. Thank you, BAI, for making today's episode possible. So today's episode... We are here with Peter Voss, founder, CEO, and chief scientist at iGo.ai. And today's episode title is A Chatbot with a Brain. So first and foremost, welcome to the show, Peter. Yes, thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Peter, before we start talking about chatbots with brains, we would love to hear a little bit more about your background and how you came to coin the term AGI. Bit of a long story, but I'll try and keep it short. So I started as electronics engineer, started my own company, then fell in love with software and my company turned into a software company. Uh, I developed an ERP, um, a comprehensive ERP software package, and we grew very rapidly from the garage to 400 people, uh, did an IPO. So super exciting time, love to do that again. Um, but it's when I exited the, the company that I thought about what big project can I can I tackle that would really be you know interesting satisfying and what occurred to me is that software is really quite dumb you know and I'm I'm saying that with I was very proud of my own software that I developed but still if we didn't think of something it would just give you an error message or crash you know software really doesn't have any common sense and can't think or reason so how how can we fix that so I embarked on a on a 5 year journey to actually study intelligence because I, I figured I really need to understand intelligence deeply to be able to build something that has intelligence. So I, I looked at epistemology, theory of knowledge, you know, like what is reality and how do we know anything? How can we be certain of, of, of things? Um, then how do children learn? How does our intelligence differ from, uh, from animals? And what do IQ tests measure? You know, are they meaningful? So I, I really dug deeply into all of these these topics, and of course, looking at what had been done in the field of AI over the decades to understand that. So the culmination of this sort of five years of research, I then started um, a an R and D company to turn these ideas into actual prototypes, and you know, we, we I hired about ten people, and for several years we basically were just. Uh, developing various prototypes and and building some core technology, which we then eventually commercialized. So the term that, AGI, commerci that commercialization yeah. is now your your current company, iGo.ai. 
Um, well, uh, actually, our current company is the second generation of this. The first commercialization we did in 2008, a company called Smart Action, which is now about 100 people or so, specializing on uh, f uh, phone uh, interactions in call centers. So automating, our byline there is automating calls intelligently. Uh, that, that's my first uh, commercial company with, with AI. And uh, my current company, iGo.ai, is really has a second generation of this technology that we've now developed quite a lot further. We've cranked up the IQ of the system further, and we, we are now focusing on chatbots. So we have a chatbot with a brain. And by the way, for those listeners who are Googling as they're listening, I go, it's not like I go, it's A-I-G-O dot A-I. So make sure you Google that and type in that web address correctly. Right. So you asked about, um, you know, AGI. So when, when I really seriously started uh, looking into what had been done in the field of AI, and I went to a lot of conferences, um, what struck me is that the original dream of AI, that when the original term AI, artificial intelligence, was coined some 60-odd years ago, it was about building thinking machines, machines that can think and learn and reason the way humans do. And in fact, the, the, the people who coined the term originally thought they could crack this in a, few, in a year or two. And of course, it turned out to be much, much, much harder than, than that. So what happened over the decades People really moved away from the original intent, and they started working on wh what we call narrow AI. So it's solving one particular problem at a time. And so for a, a good example of that is uh, IBM with uh, um, Deep Blue, which became the world chess champion in somewhere in the 80s, I think. So that's a, it, it's a, an example of narrow AI. You know, and, and then there's, there's basically... Uh, container loading optimization, you know, traffic and or medical diagnosis, expert systems. Uh, we now have, uh, you know, vision systems that help with autonomous driving. But those are all examples of narrow AI. You take one particular problem that sort of looks like it requires intelligence. Um, but the big point here is that you're not actually building a system that has intelligence, but you're using the programmers or the data scientist intelligence to figure out how they can use technology to solve one particular problem. So that kind of insight that we'd, we'd gone away from the original motivation and dream of AI, um, made. I got together with some other people who had come to similar conclusions. We said in 2002, we said, we think we're now ready to go back to the to the original dream of AI, that technology had advanced sufficiently, hardware and software technology had advanced sufficiently, that we could go back to trying to build thinking machines. And so to differentiate ourselves, we did, we really need a different term for that. And that's why we coined a three of, three of us uh, wrote a book uh, on the topic. And What's the name of the book? We love books here. We, even though we're a podcast, we still love to read. Yeah. Uh, well, it's called Artificial General Intelligence. So Excellent that's the, title. That's a, that's a book Dead title. giveaway. All right. <laughs> yeah. And that's how we coined the, the, the term AGI. And it's just, you know, we didn't know if that would catch on at all. But as it turned out, basically, a lot of people are now using that to refer to advanced AI or AI that can, you know, think and reason. So we've spoken on the show with other guests about some of the challenges with regards to 
building and implementing AI, the critique that many of the applications have received with regards to bias, bias in the data, bias in, bias in the build of the algorithms, does the way your approach to a GI mitigate some of that, address any of those issues, or, some, or are those issues still at play in, in the systems that you're building? Uh, yes, absolutely. It, it, it will. A lot of these failures are failures of intelligence that the system really isn't smart enough to know that it's making a mistake or, you know, that it shouldn't be swearing at somebody or that, you know, it, it, its training set is biased, the training set is not appropriate to the task you're trying to do. So, yes, eventually as AI becomes smarter, it will actually mitigate many of these things. You know, there was a few years ago, there was um, a big thing made about um, Alexa listening in on some private conversation that it, it shouldn't. And again, it's really a failure of intelligence. Alexa doesn't know any better. Alexa doesn't know what you're talking about. Poor Alexa. Um, she whereas just has if her the system triggers. was intelligent enough, it would, would know on when not to listen, <laughs> when it's none of its business. You That's know, funny. As, as a person might. Um, so yes, uh, it will... will uh, it will mitigate that. So you mentioned before that you went on a five-year sort of study and exploration of intelligence, and you mentioned a few different subject areas that you really dove deep into in order to inform your next project, which is now culminating in uh, the episode title, "A Chatbot with a Brain." But I'm I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into that just yet because I want to let you uh, let you talk about your product the way you'd like to. I'm really curious, and I think listeners would really love to know and understand why so many of these other disciplines, psychology, um, child development, uh, were so important to you, I guess, both personally and then scientifically as you embarked on this new endeavor. Yes, you're right. I mean, there was definitely a personal in interest. I have been very interested in philosophy, in you know, all aspects of philosophy, ethics, and and you know, politics, and not just not just epistemology. Uh, so there was definitely a general interest. But um, in trying to figure out how machines might behave, one of the things that I wanted to understand, for example, also what things like you know, what is free will. When we talk about people having free will, which is related to taking responsibility, and could a machine have free will? And I've actually written quite extensively about uh, about that, about ethics and and free will. So th there was both a personal interest in in these topics, but also I could see that if you have very intelligent machines, then these things become very important. Now, in terms of child development. Um, I was trying to figure out at the time, do we need to train an AI in a similar way in which children learn? You know, that it's uh, like you have uh, the technical, one of the, tech, um, one of the theories are the Piagetian development stages, child development stages, where children go through, through pretty standard um, development stages. So I wanted to understand whether an AI would need to go through those same stages or not. Um, then in terms of animal cognition, understanding it, there's clearly a very big difference between animal intelligence and human intelligence that allows us to 
be tool users to <clears throat> and you know to think and reason about things at a at a much more at a much higher level at an abstract level and to organize ourselves in societies um more effectively um well hopefully more effectively <laughs> well that um, i mean uh that that's the goal right yes that's the goal and so it was important for me to understand the difference between uh animal and and human intelligence and it, as it turned out understanding that difference was actually also an important piece of the puzzle of how to build ai um so really all of these things turned out to be quite necessary and i'd like to say a lot of the um the lack of progress that we have in really having intelligence in ai the problems with limitations we have in in ai right now are, are, are due to the fact that most people working in ai uh have not bothered to try and understand what intelligence actually is and what it entails what it requires you know they're typically mathematicians or logicians or statisticians and um It's It's very they interesting. They don't have the background or the interest in cognitive psychology um on and and really understanding what uh what intelligence is and what mental processes um do. It's very interesting you say that because I've talked with other guests, with other potential guests, you know, clients, other entrepreneurs who um I think misuse the phrase AI quite quite often. Um to the point where they've almost made it synonymous with the term automation which is obviously not true and never the original intent as you mentioned before of what um you know scholars of of the world wanted when they started talking about how do we build true artificial intelligence it seems like everyone's got the artificial part down but forgot mm -hmm. about the intelligence part if i'm if i'm picking up what you're putting down uh, a little bit exactly it's a very <laughs> it's a very good way of putting it and in fact it it it's become worse over the last uh 8 or 9 years actually because of the success of big data approaches you know now um, about 8 9 years ago there was a breakthrough in neural networks where the big companies figured out how they could use masses amounts of data masses amounts of computing power to build these very powerful models that have improved significantly improved speech recognition and image recognition and of course targeted advertising you know that's worth trillions of dollars um but that's all big data statistical approaches and people have actually moved further away from intelligence it's you know it's basically can we build a model that can categorize things in a certain way you know put us in a bucket hey this is the stuff that this is the ad that you might respond to uh or this is this this image and, and, this is a pedestrian versus a car you know and it is more about the pre predicting outcomes based on large large data sets as opposed exactly. to as opposed to actual cognition which is exactly. what we're talking about so perfect segue We want to talk about the chatbot that actually has a brain. So igos aigo.ai's primary product offering right is that chatbot with a brain. I'd love for you to tell listeners a little bit more about what you've built. Yes, so certainly let me start by explaining a little bit um you know why we call it a chatbot with a brain. Well, the simple answer is that the thousands of chatbots that are out there at the moment do not have a brain and what i mean by that is 
they don't have memory. They don't remember what you said two sentences ago, never mind what you said last week. Um, they don't have understanding. They don't deeply understand. So, for example, if you say to, um, to Siri, I hate Uber, don't ever give me Uber again, it'll pop up the Uber app because it just latches onto the word Uber that it recognized. Um, so they don't have deep understanding, don't have memory, they don't have any reasoning ability, they don't have common sense. So, I mean, if you're talking about an assistant, a useful assistant, if you hired a person, a human, that didn't remember what you said two sentences ago, or you know, just latched onto keywords and didn't have any common sense, well, they, they, they wouldn't last very long. And this is why the current chatbots um, are very disappointing for anything beyond a simple command. Now, of course, they're very, you know, if you learn how to use it and you have Alexa and you can say, close the blinds, you know, or play Misty for me or whatever, you know, it, <laughs> it, you know, it might recognize it and do the right thing, especially if you learn how to use it or use it in your, in your car. Um, so, you know, th that's obviously working a lot better than it, it has in the past, but these are single commands. You know, there's, uh, there's no reasoning, there's no common sense, there's no learning, there's no short-term memory, there's no long-term memory. And so by us using this brain that we've developed over really the last 20 years, um, we are able to provide these essential cognitive abilities that you would expect from an intelligent system. Now, I hasten to say we are still a long way from human-level intelligence, but we are... We have a lot more intelligence than uh, a chatbot without a brain. So tell me about who uh, your primary customers are right now, industries that you're serving, successes that you guys have had. Yeah, so industry, because really any industry could utilize intelligent conversational AI. We're really industry agnostic and we currently have, you know, customers in in you know banking and insurance and in retail. We are talking to um, companies that want to use it for education, uh, for training people uh, in HR as something like a diabetes coach, you know, people have diabetes, you'll have your personal coach that can help you uh, with, with that. Um, uh, in car, if uh, you know, we're talking to car companies that want um, a, a more intelligent assistant in the car that actually can understand you and remember your preferences, and you know, also help you with potentially your calendar and you know arrange things sort of more as a as a personal assistant. So there there really are a host of different uh, applications anywhere where you 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 really have conversational AI that requires some intelligence. So in listening to you talk about it, I've heard, I heard you use the word personal like four times. Um, and uh, to me, as you were describing the product and from everything that I, that I did my homework on before uh, recording with you here today, it really does feel like your approach, instead of the sort of generic automation approach that so many of the chatbots that we see that are pretty prolific on websites and, you know, with uh, organizations that we interact with all the time, it seems that your product is much more focused on, I think the term you used was hyper-personalization than your competitors. 
Is that is yes, that fair? Uh, Did I get that right? <laughs> yeah, that, that that's exactly right. Um, yes, it's uh, you are not a demographic. You are you know you are an individual with individual preferences and history and so on. So a perfect example is 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 uh, one of our large clients is one eight hundred flowers. A group of companies, not just flowers. It's your Harry and David, and you know popcorn and chocolates and whatever kind of gifts you want to buy. And the owners of the company. Um, See if the chatbot knew me, they would know that my favorite Harry and David product are the pears. I love the pears. I ordered the pears every single year, habitually for myself and for others. So my my chatbot would know that about me. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, and in fact, the the owners, uh, interestingly enough, they found uh, they found me. They found our customer through a podcast where I was explaining this. They contacted us, and they tried to implement um, a concierge type um, assistant for their customers because they said when we started the business. We were just one shop. We knew most of our customers. They'd walk in, and we know they're buying something for their wife or something for their 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 niece or, or whatever. And they they would know their customers, and they wanted to see how can they have that experience. But now for ten million plus customers that they have to have that hyper personalization and that concierge. So what Igo will understand if you say, um, I want to buy some chocolate for my niece's birthday. Uh, and or my niece Sarah, um, then Iga will will now understand that and know that your niece is Sarah. She likes chocolate, and it's her birthday coming up. And that information will serve as a context and will also be remembered. So once you then buy that, you Iga next year could say, "Do you, you know? Do you want to buy something for your niece? Did she like the chocolates or whatever?" So that hyper personalization is possible, which of course you couldn't. You couldn't possibly get with even a human assistant with 10 million customers, but with AI, you can you can get uh, to that kind of personalization. So yeah, that that is. Uh, but for that, you do need a brain. You do need memory. You need reasoning. You need to be able to use context. You need to have deep understanding. So many organizations, I believe start on the AI journey and figuring out how to implement some of these technologies within their operations with a view towards cost savings, right? And a view towards how do we become more efficient? Um, and that is, I think, because so much, so many of the products that have typically been available have very, have been so focused on the automation part rather than the intelligence part, as we discussed before. To me, it sounds like what you're offering, though, not only could be beneficial in that regard, but also actually makes for like just a much more pleasant customer experience. Yes, I, I believe that is the future of customer service, provided you have the level of intelligence to actually help customers. Because a, you don't have any wait time; you don't have to wait for anyone, which you know everybody hates. And b, as I, as I mentioned, as we we're discussing is. Um, it can remember you. It can remember your previous uh, conversation. So, for example, you're struggling with your your modem, with your internet connection. You know, so you have your first call, and they, they say, "Well, can you reboot your router?" You know, and let me know what what happened. You know, next time you contact, you don't want the system to ask you or the the agent to ask you. Can have you, you have you your have you reboot have you reboot yeah. your modem? Yes, right. I did that sixteen you times, know, and, and I've repeated the well, story. I've repeated right. the story to three exactly. of your agents already. 
you know, and then you say, well, I moved it into the kitchen to see if it would work better, you know, and then next time you're talking, you say, well, I did that, did that help? So, yes, you can provide a potentially much, much better service, um, you know, really a white glove treatment to, to each individual customer. Uh, and that ends up being much more important than, uh, than the, the cost savings, which are also substantial. So it's it's really a win-win provided you have an, a, enough intelligence to do the to do the job properly. So I'm going to ask you. I think with I think it's a I think it's a tricky question, but I figure I'll throw it out there. There are a lot of organizations saying that they have truly intelligent products, right? That it's true AI. That maybe their product works with a brain, and it sort of led me. And as I do due diligence on organizations for either businesses that I'm affiliated with or if I'm doing research on a company, you know, for the show, I ask myself the question, how do you actually measure intelligence and reasoning? And as a customer, how do I know if one piece of software is smarter than the other? What would, how would you answer that, Peter? (laughs) Yeah, well... Of course, the big thing is not not to just look at a demo. I mean, anybody can put together a very impressive looking video of 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 something, you know. And unfortunately, a lot of companies do that. They throw something together, sort of aspirational. This is what we'd like to offer, and then that becomes this is what we are offering and what the salespeople are selling. Now, of course, you 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 pretty much need to ignore that. Um, you know, and you need to talk to to actual customers who who have it, or you know, to actually have a demo where you can see uh, see in depth what it is. But there's there's also it's actually pretty tricky to quickly establish how intelligent something is. We now have these huge, humongous uh, language models that have been built, um, like GPT three is is the most famous one right now that. Uh, on the surface, can can seem to, you know seem to have very complex understanding and complex conversations, but you have so you have to you have to drive the conversation and actually try and achieve something in particular, and then you will see very quickly where they they fall down. So you have to ask, what is the technology behind it that actually makes this possible? So basically, what is the brain? And if you can't get a clear answer, if it's just a t- statistical model that is being built, um, it cannot adapt, it cannot learn on the fly. These models are built, sometimes takes weeks to build them, using enough electricity to power Manhattan for a day. <laughs> um, you know, And these models are absolutely huge. So they are built, uh, and whatever capabilities they have is then uh, in, in, a, in a model that is read-only. They, they do not actually learn... They cannot reason, so it, it. But it's tricky. It's it's really tricky that you know there are obviously a lot of salespeople who are very good at, uh, um, yeah. you know, mister misdirecting or talking. Well, you know, we're such a big company and we have the reputation and so on. But you know, talk to customers who are actually using it and find out what the core of the technology is. But it's it's a non-trivial, um, a non-trivial thing to really find out what the limitations are. Understood. So we have a few minutes left, and I would not be me, and this would not be Tech on Reg, if I didn't ask at least one legal-ish question, legal or regulatory question. 
Um, so as it, as an operator, as an innovator, um, who's now stood up successfully two organizations um, that have deployed years and years worth of research that have really sort of changed the landscape um, of products being offered for AI. What in your experience at a practical level have been the legal or regulatory challenges that advanced chatbots um, or AI assistants face? Um, well, se security and uh, legal aspects um, take up a, a big part of, of any implementation that we do. And depending, obviously, on the customer, but, you know, whether you're talking retail, um, they're, they're still, you know, legal and regulatory. What promises can you make? How do you say things? Um, and often you actually have to dumb down what the system can do because you don't want it Just to in kind case. of add. You don't want it to add lib. <laughs> You know, it, it needs to say exactly this. It needs to follow exactly the uh, a certain procedure. You know, with the, the banking clients and insurance that we, we're working with, of course, it takes it up another few notches in terms of, um, you know, what you can do. How do you verify that you're talking to the right person? And, um, you know, again, what are you allowed to say and do and what aren't you allowed to say and do? Now, one of the things I'd like to mention is uh, another big concern is about data security and yeah absolutely uh, recognizing that we've actually decided to not offer our system as a SaaS service so we provide our technology behind the customer's firewall so if you're you know if you're a bank or retail or whatever uh, our technology actually runs in whatever cloud service the company concerns or on-prem Com computers so keep it contained it, we keep yeah, it contained. It's, it's entirely contained behind their firewall so data doesn't come to our company uh um, you know uh, at all so that that also helps but it's still it's tricky we were actually this morning i was i was talking to university and they want to uh implement our system in a something that's very exciting and i'd like to just talk a little bit more about that is as a, a a personal assistant for students. You know, if you go first get to university. Um, oh, and, students have all the know, questions, all the questions. You don't, you know, you don't know your way around. You don't know where to get the books, the meals, and, you know, what, you know, what, what, any, anyway, it's uh, be perfect to, to have a personal assistant that, again, n knows what you signed up for, knows what, you know, uh, what, what studies you've already done, what you're behind, what you, you, you need to prioritize find your way around uh, the campus, all of those kinds of things. Um, but there's a real problem that they worried about litigation, you know, that if if you have this personal assistant and the student says something bad about, you know, about somebody and some faculty member, that all of a sudden you, right? All of a sudden you have that knowledge, your, that knowledge is imputed to you, you have it, it's part of your records. It's and in your possession, it could, custody, and control, and you don't even realize it's there. <laughs> correct. Now, of course, you you do already have that if if you're using, uh, you know, the email, the the, the, uh, the sure. university email, but it sort of takes us to another level. And but it's I think it's a super exciting um, application. Absolutely. Um, and it's something actually that we call, you, you You say I mentioned the word personal several times. Well, I'll mention it even one more time now. Our future we see as offering something we call a personal, personal assistant. 
<laughs> and the reason we call it a personal, personal assistant, it really should be personal, personal, personal assistant, but that's overdoing it. And the reason we have three personals in there is there are three different meanings of personal that are actually important. The first personal is you own it. It's your property. So it serves your agenda, not some mega corporation's agenda. So what, that's a novel, a what a novel concept. Yeah. So that's the first personal. You own it. It's yours. The second personal is it's hyper-personalized to you. It's customized to you. It knows your preferences, your history, and you know, and so on. So it's a second personal. And the third personal is that certain things are personal, are private, that you don't want to share with everyone. So your personal, personal assistant, you should be able to entrust your you know, your deepest, darkest secrets <laughs> to give you advice. I mean, this is ultimately where, where we, we'd like to go, that it can give you advice and help you make decisions in life, but you decide uh, uh, what Igo shares with whom. And, you know, it's, it's completely self-contained. It's not part of some big cloud service, not mm -hmm. shared. It's not a shared data set. It's your own personal data that you control. So that there are a number of applications like that, not just student assistant. There's also if you're a salesperson and you're using iGo to uh, be a front end to Salesforce, for example. People, you know, salespeople are notoriously bad at updating Salesforce. <laughs> and so, if you have an iGo that can help you, that tell me tell me about my next appointment, what product were we offering? Does does he have any? hobbies, you know, what are their kids' names or whatever. When you're done with the appointment, you can say to Igo, remind me next Tuesday to follow up, uh, send them brochure X and let my boss know what's going on. But once a salesperson uses it all day long uh, for business, then they'd obviously also want to use it in their private lives and say, hey, Igo, remind me to pick up the kids on the way home, you know? Well, it's funny. So the personal, personal, personal explanation uh, that you just gave that's very consistent with sort of the all of the sentiment and tenets behind the development of Web3 and Web3 applications, the, the focus on maintaining your own privacy, security, data, and the sort of permissionless and, and for having an individual user being able to take control back over their data, how it's used and implemented. Um, it sounds uh, not surprisingly that you're you're right on the forefront um, of all of the other exciting uh, developments that are happening with Web three implementation, and that IGO is gonna fit beautifully in to the to the to the new schematic of the internet that that we're building over the next ten years. Um, any last words for our listeners as we wrap up? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna remind everyone that they should be visiting uh, aigo.ai. Um, but last words from you, Peter. Yeah, I've also got uh, quite a number of articles that I've written about, as I said, free will and uh, about AGI, uh, about the three waves of AI, about intelligence, what intelligence entails, and and so on. And they are on medium.com, but they're also linked from our, our website, aigo.ai. And uh, yes, anybody who is interested in you know, more information or discussing things, uh, feel free to contact me, peter at igo.ai. Excellent. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, uh, tune in. New episode in two weeks. Thank you again to BAI for making today's episode possible. And you will hear from me next time. Bye.